Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hi, hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Rossafari Zoo News. Y'all know how this works by now. You send me articles, and I also sometimes look up some of my own, and then I regurgitate them back to you in my own words, much like a mother bird feeding her brood. Okay, that was kind of gross, but um, hey, I stand by it. Y'all, I have to tell you, I am having some amazing adventures this week uh, that I'm going to be bringing to y'all, obviously, in future episodes of the podcast. And this has just been a very good week for birds, okay? Um, I, I like to not talk about, you know, episodes that are upcoming too much. But since we've already posted some stuff from these places on Instagram and some of the places have posted their own thing, I guess I can share a little bit. So um, interestingly, on Sunday before my last shows of the week, I decided to do a Zoom interview with a keeper from Zoo Knoxville who's a fan and had reached out. So um, that one's in the books and it's awesome. And I'm not sure where it's going to fit in because I don't know if you know this or not, but Knoxville is in California, but I'm really excited to share some really cool information and a really just wonderful person with all of you. Then on Monday, I went to California's own Gibbon Conservation Center. They conserve gibbons and they have them there and it's amazing and their long arms are flopping everywhere. And I know that most of you have just listened to an episode earlier this week from the Akron Zoo where you heard about first time mom Parker having a new baby. Well, guess what, y'all? Parker went to the Akron Zoo with one little delay on the way from the Gibbon Conservation Center in California. I actually got to see one of Parker's siblings, so that was really flipping cool. Um, and that was that was Monday. And then on Tuesday, I went to Avian Behavior International. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you need to look it up. Um, Hillary Hankey is an incredibly respected and loved bird trainer. And she does all kinds of cool stuff, including free-flying her birds in the California mountains. So we literally went and and did the thing. I got to watch her. I mean, I didn't do anything. Hell, she barely did anything. It's the birds that do all the work. But her and her team took me to this cool rock and birds just flew there and they knew where to go and they figured it out and it was awesome and it was beautiful and um, holy crap, y'all. And then, and then on Wednesday, the day I'm recording this, I went to America's Teaching Zoo. Now, you may remember an episode from there last year, and uh, but that was on Zoom. 
now I have done the zoo. And I not only spoke to an incredible member of staff, but also to three second-year students there who shared their stories and their hopes for the future. And ah, it's just so cool. There is so much neat perspective. And I got to meet some really cool animals there as well. So y'all, I'm just telling you, this is an amazing week. Please note, these are supposed to be my days off that I'm doing all of this. I'm I'm going to crash hard when I crash at the end of this little adventure, but um, I am just so excited about all of the cool California adventures I'm going to be bringing to you soon. Um, yeah, so if you want to see little snippets of that stuff in advance and you want to see some cool pictures and, and you know, videos and stuff from the other places um, that I, I am visiting and have visited and, and all that good stuff, make sure you're following along uh, at Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Insta's really getting hot, though, because of how reels work and everything. Insta's really where you want to be, not going to lie. Um, yeah, and then uh, if you want to support the pod, you can go to patreon.com slash rossafari or check out our merch at rossafari.com. But that's enough of an ad for my own stuff. Here's an ad for some other stuff. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, and without further ado, let's get to it. Well, it's one for the pennies, two for the bears, three for the markers. Now you should care. Now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? Longleat, which is a zoo in England, has announced that they have had a new koala joey born. This is extra newsworthy because it is the first ever southern koala born in Europe. So awesome. Longleat, if you haven't checked them out online, is is just a really impressive zoo. Uh, I really can't wait to get back to Europe and, and go there at some point in life. Um, but I'm not surprised that, you know, they would be a zoo that would, would have an incredible breakthrough like this. So congrats to the entire team at Longleat for the amazing work. I, I hope your Joey thrives. And while we're on the subject of newly born animals at zoos, the Little Rock Zoo recently announced that they have a penguin hatchling that has been named Betty White. This is actually a complete coincidence. This has nothing to do with the legendary television star, comedian, and conservation icon who passed away recently. I'm kidding. Obviously, I'm kidding. And obviously, Betty White was a lot funnier than I am because I thought that was a good joke. But regardless, the Little Rock Zoo has named their most recent penguin after Betty White, which I think is adorable. Um, and it was a voting thing. So I love that so many people are aware of her love of animals that uh, they knew to vote for the name. So that's just 
special and cool. And, and I think that's really awesome. In general, I have to say that the whole uh, Betty White challenge that happened, um, where people were supposed to donate to their favorite zoos or conservation organizations, it was pretty cool to see. A lot of like smaller places listed that they made like, you know, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks that day. And um, that's really special. That kind of money can go a long way for a lot of these facilities. Uh, a lot of them were talking about how they're going to use it for different enrichment items for the animals or to help, you know, get over that hump that uh, some of them experienced because of having to close for months because of the pandemic early on. So, um, yeah, it was just it was really cool to see that. And uh, if you haven't seen this yet, I posted a reel uh, on Instagram um, I think on Facebook too. I don't, they're all connected now. I don't know. But anyway, uh, that is the LA zoo's tribute to Betty White and, and how anyone that goes there can participate. Uh, and I did, and it's, it's really cool. Make sure you check that out. It's, it's pretty special. Betty White was pretty special. And I think that name's going to keep popping up on this podcast from time to time as various institutions recognize her and, and do things to help remember her now that, that she is gone. The African Colonial Institute in Senegal, West Africa, recently announced that they are going to be building a new sea turtle rescue center. As such, New England Aquarium has sent a bunch of sea turtle rescue and rehabilitation tanks to Senegal to be installed at the new center. All the way from Quincy, Massachusetts to Senegal, West Africa, these tanks are crossing halfway across the world to give new life to endangered sea turtles. I love it so much. This is actually going to be the first turtle rescue center in West Africa. And uh, I just, I love that New England Aquarium is a, is a big part of it and a big reason why it will be successful. Can't wait for the center to start saving turtles. And hey, while we're in Massachusetts, uh, let's talk about Zoo New England for a second. They have come up with a new idea. They have launched Zoo New England's Conservation Society. This is a membership that costs $75 for a year and gives you access to exclusive members-only conservation field days and site tours where the staff will meet you in the field for up-close encounters with rare wild species and habitats they're working to protect, opportunities to participate in local conservation projects such as raising plants for local pollinators, creating native wildlife habitats, surveying New England biodiversity, and more, Invitations to attend lectures and events hosted by Zoo New England and partners in conservation locally and around the globe, blog updates about conservation and wildlife in New England, video messages from the field conservation staff introducing members to the wild places and creatures they are working with, and newsletters with updates and information about the work you're supporting with your membership to the Conservation Society. Also, if you become a member of the Zoo New England Conservation Society, you can also get a discounted membership to the actual zoos, which if you don't know this, Zoo New England is actually two zoos in the Boston area. It's the Franklin Park Zoo and the Stone Zoo, or as I like to call them, the Red Panda Zoo and the Snow Leopard Zoo. I used to call it the non-Red Panda Zoo, but that seemed negative and they do have really amazing snow leopards. So anyway, I think this is a really, really cool way to tie together the local conservation work being done 
at Zoo New England to the actual citizens that are there. And and furthermore, um, you know, it's hard to fund those conservation efforts. This is such a cool way for people to be members of something other than just being a zoo member, which is also obviously amazing. Uh, I think this is really creative and a really great way uh, for a zoo to connect people to their conservation work directly. I hope a lot more zoos follow suit with this idea. The Rosamund Gifford Zoo in Syracuse, New York, has announced that the first same-sex penguin foster parents have hatched a healthy chick and are doing well raising it. It's actually quite an adorable story. So back in the fall, Elmer and Lima built a nest. They constructed it, they defended it against potential danger, and um, they had no egg because they're both male. So um, the keepers, seeing how caring and diligent they were being with their nest, gave them a fake egg to watch over. And it turns out that Lima and Elmer did such a good job that in December, they were given an actual egg to be foster parents of. Sure enough, it hatched. And as I mentioned, they are doing really well with the baby. It it actually is kind of interesting. um, In captivity, a lot of penguin pairs, same sex, not same sex, whatever, really do a bad job with eggs. Um, a lot of times uh, zoos will actually test them by giving them dummy eggs. And uh, a lot of the the penguins will sit next to it or fight with each other for a chance to keep the egg warm while the egg sits there not being warm. It's a whole thing. But Elmer and Lima did so well that they got to have a real egg and crack. There it is, little, little baby penguin on a kind of related note and kind of just goofy note um there was an early episode of parks and recreation where leslie nope decided to have a penguin wedding at the zoo and only afterwards found out that it was two males that uh got married and it was a whole controversy and it's an amazing episode and i highly recommend that you check it out okay so this this next story is going to bring down the tone a bit um but uh a woman at the Tashkent Zoo in Uzbekistan, threw her three-year-old daughter into a bear pit recently. Zuzu, the Caucasian brown bear who lived in the pit, immediately ran over to see what the noise and offering was and uh, sniffed the child, but um, did not attack. Thankfully, we all know how those stories end. And in fact, the keepers that were there were able to move so quickly to get Zazu out of the area simply by using training behaviors because, yay, good training, that the bear did not touch the child and as such is doing fine. Six zoo staff members ran in to rescue the girl, and uh, she went to the local hospital where she, you know, had suffered a concussion and some cuts and bruises, all from her fall, but uh, nothing happened with the bear because Zuzu is well-trained and awesome. Yay, bears! The mother uh, is being charged with attempted murder, which has a sentence of up to 15 years in prison, which... That's, I don't know that that's a lot for uh, for throwing your kid into a bear pit, but uh, hey, okay. I'm just glad that nobody and nothing was hurt in this interaction, except for this this 
poor child who's a little bruised. But uh, that ended about as well as it could. And I hope this this woman goes to jail for a long time. Um, and also that she gets whatever help she needs because I, I think she needs some help. You know, there's there's no real way to bounce back from that story. I don't have any cute transitions. Um, so I'm just going to do a, a hard left and y'all hold on to the handles and, and here we go. And okay, the Denver Zoo has announced a new sustainable partnership with Event Network. Event Network is a leading retail operator for experimental cultural attractions in the United States, and they have now started operating the stores at the Denver Zoo. This includes debuting a variety of new product ranges, highlighting the zoo's conservation initiatives, which I love, while also celebrating its heritage and geographic location. The company is also striving to get collaborations with local artists and environmentally friendly product creators into the stores. In looking at the redesigned stores, I'm I'm really impressed. It's it's a very different vibe and it seems like uh, it's mostly stuff that you can't get at, you know, normal zoo gift shops. Um we've talked about that process a little bit on here and and I certainly love it, but uh this seems to be a really unique and locally focused uh, new gift shop at the Denver Zoo and I think that is really cool. So, nice work. I hope this pays off. And that brings us to Conservation, Conservation, News Time. Oh, yeah. And we're starting off our conservation news section with a collaboration between the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I know, you're all shocked. This is the first time they've ever worked together to do something amazing, right? Lol. Anyway, uh, burrowing owls are these really cute kind of tiny birds that live uh, in Southern California and have lost a lot of their habitat to, well, Southern Californians. Four areas of land in Southern California were determined to be good areas to set up populations of these in protected areas, and as such, the owls were going to be moved there. But there was a slight problem. The owls didn't seem to like it there. The biologists at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance realized that burrowing owls like to live in communities and like to feel like they are already kind of in their neighborhood. And so they walked around with a syringe squirting around fake owl poop, which was a particular shade of of white paint. And, uh... Boom! The owls felt right at home. As soon as the owls believed that there were other owls around, they settled in and got to burrowing, which is what they do, which is why they're called burrowing owls. This is one of those stories that I love so much, not just because it's a zoo helping with animal conservation, but also because it comes from the deep understanding of the species that we get by observing them in captivity. Most people would not have been like, oh, let's just spread some fake poop around and it'll probably be fine. But the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance biologists did because they're amazing. And that is a really good poop story. Poop story. A new study done by the scientists of Defenders of Wildlife and Panthera combined has discovered that mountain lions play a much larger role in their local ecosystems than was previously believed. 
The study found that mountain lions, which are also known as pumas and uh, all kinds of other things, they have a million names and it's awesome, uh, interact with hundreds of species and play a direct role in balancing various habitats as ecological brokers across the Americas, according to the study. In fact, the study finds that mountain lions interact with almost 500 different species, which is believed to be more relationships than any other carnivore in the world, and is only maybe a hundred less than the number of names that this species has. Even in their death, pumas or mountain lions, I love the name thing, I really do, uh, are important to species such as Andean condors that absolutely rely on dead mountain lions for food. In North America, in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, for example, 11% of local bird species, including some songbirds, feed on the kills that pumas leave behind. It's really amazing to see the impact these incredible animals have on so many species. And obviously, this gives far more reason than ever before to conserve the species and keep their population healthy and come up with laws to prevent hunting them and all that good stuff. So this study is really important as well as, you know, interesting. One of the encouraging stories from the COVID-19 pandemic is the fact that nature has been kind of using the time to heal. And there have been a lot of stories about animal populations rebounding and uh, cool birds being seen by birders and all kinds of good, neat stuff like that. However, that is not the case for the Philippine eagle. It seems that in the Philippines, a lot more people are heading into the forests as they have had less ability to work and more fears about the pandemic and have started going out to try to capture and hunt their own food, which has led to things like Philippine eagles getting captured in boar traps. The good news is that a lot of times uh, the people realize what they have and will turn it into a wildlife rehabilitator or call up the Philippine Eagle Foundation. But, um, you know, not always. And sometimes people who are really hungry think that they'll make good food. Uh, this year alone, uh, the Philippine Eagle Foundation has rescued 10 eagles already where they normally get to rescue like one or two per year. So uh, not great, y'all. All of this is coupled with the fact that due to the pandemic, ecotourism has slowed way down, which means that a lot of the uh, funding for forest guardian type people um, who will stop poachers from actively going after the birds uh, has been cut. And so those jobs are being lost. So um, yeah, it looks like we're going to need to do some extra work to help save the Philippine eagle uh, during this trying time. And also, isn't it just crazy to see the constant, non-stop, unending craziness that COVID-19 is causing years after it, it first became a thing? This is just like astonishing to me. Who would have thought that two and a half years later, there'd be an eagle population suffering because of COVID-19? Crazy. And finally, in conservation news this week, in Spokane, Washington, wildlife biologists have recently captured and fitted a female grizzly bear with a radio collar. This is the first time this has ever been done with a grizzly bear, and the hope is that it will help biologists learn more about grizzlies in Washington state. And that brings us to... 
In other news. Two new species of snails have been discovered in Vietnam and Laos. And both species are the size of a grain of sand, making them the tiniest known land snails on Earth. Did I really have to say on Earth? Do we know about snails on other planets? Meh. Anyway, one of these species seems super unique. We'll go with unique. The shell is covered with pointy projections, which are adorned with a series of mud-like beads. And one of the uh, people who discovered them believes these are fecal pellets. Um, whether their own or someone else's is uncertain at this time. It's definitely going to be interesting seeing what studies of these snails find out. And I personally will be curious to see if this leads to more studies of really tiny creatures because... Um, According to the biologists who discovered these snails, there are a ton of really small, like not microscopic, but really tiny animals out there that we just know nothing about. Um, that might be the next kind of frontier of biology. It's kind of kind of cool to see. And speaking of newly discovered species, there is a new type of insect that has been discovered in West Uganda. The species comes from a group of incredibly rare leafhopper bugs, which is basically an unstudied species that we know nothing about their biology. The last recorded sighting of a leafhopper from the same genus as this species was in 1969. Yay, new species! Y'all, on a side note, um, you know how I'm doing all of this in my hotel room in La Mirada, California right now, as, as we've talked about? Um, well, somebody's in the room next to me, and uh, I was worried that, you know, I might be being too loud, even though it's 930 at night here and, and whatever, and I, I'm actually not too loud when I record these things. Um, but y'all, dude can snore. I don't know that that's really news, but it is all the news in my life right now. Anyway, moving on from there, if you haven't checked out the world of Harry Potter yet, then you might not know that the Niffler is a fictional creature that can dig through soft dirt searching for treasure, also known as a badger, at least in Spain. There is a badger in Spain that was foraging for food and ended up digging up some ancient treasure, including over 200 copper and bronze coins dating back to the Roman Empire. Despite the fact that it was a hungry badger that dug the coins up, the uh, coins are now in human hands and uh, the badger was not rewarded, which I think is total bullcrap. Um... But I'm also biased because I just met a badger and they're amazing. More in a future episode. But yeah, I just really liked that story and how this badger was a kind of real life Niffler. <laughs> a photographer in the Philippines recently captured a photograph of a juvenile Wonderpus octopus, which is an amazing accomplishment because... Um, when these octopi are younger, before they turn their normal red shade, although they can also control their shade, they are actually transparent, meaning that in this photograph, you can see the octopus's brain. It's a really cool photo. I highly recommend you Google transparent octopus and uh, check it out. It's amazing. And while we're on the subject of octopi, 
octopi or octopuses, you can call them whatever you want, squid, lobsters, and crabs are now recognized as sentient beings under a new law passed in the United Kingdom. This decision covers all cephalopod mollusks as well as decapod crustaceans. And it is the result of recent scientific evidence that proves these animals have the capacity to experience pain or distress. Obviously, we know that octopi can do a lot more than that. But because they're invertebrates, a lot of times they don't get the same love and the same protections as vertebrates do. It's ridiculous, but it's true. But the UK has changed that now. While the current bill that that names these ascension creatures will not change any practices about how people consume things like lobsters and, and other stuff, uh, it, it is based on a review that recommends against certain common commercial practices, including live boiling without stunning, transporting in icy water, using extreme and inhumane slaughter methods, and selling live crustaceans to untrained handlers. It'll be interesting to see if any of those suggestions get codified as well. And last but not least in other news, we go back to our WTF Pennsylvania segment from last week for an update. Remember that mysterious unidentified animal that was taken to a wildlife rescue in Pennsylvania after a woman saved it from the winter cold and no one was really sure what it was? Well, it's been a week and I'm sure that you are ready to find out what that animal was. So here we go. Oh, wait, I can't tell you because it has escaped from its wildlife rescue. Y'all, this is how, like, weird zombie films start. I'm not okay with this. I'll keep you updated if uh, we ever figure out what this animal is or if it's found again. But um, until then, I am using the scientific method to deduct that it is Bigfoot's dog. Bigfoot's dog, y'all. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Alrighty, and that brings us to our animal holidays. So remember, y'all, February is Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month, International Hoof Care Month, Fishing Cat February, and National Bird Feeding Month. And to clarify, that's you're supposed to feed birds, not feed the birds to the fishing cats. Though I know some fishing cats that would disagree. And as far as your individual days this week, nothing, nada, zilch. You get nothing. Okay, not you personally. I like you, listener. Don't, don't be offended. There just don't happen to be any animal holidays this entire week. WTF. Why does this keep happening? And then we have days with like 37 animals sharing a day. I don't know. But um, yeah, no other animal holidays this week. So uh, there you have it, folks. Yay, we did the thing. Welcome to the end of the show, y'all. I would like to say a special thank you to my Red Panda level patron, Lara Shank, and also to the people who contributed to this week's episode, Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Crystal Chapman, Kristen Khalil, Liz Dunlevy, Hippie Ape on Instagram, and Taylor Gray. That's right, y'all. The dude who helps me with a lot of the music on here also sent me a story this week. How cool is that? It's pretty cool, John. 
Yeah, stop asking questions when you're the only person here. Okay, y'all, I am really overtired, and you can tell because I just did weird voices. And I never do weird, silly voices on my podcast. So um, I think it is time for me to go with a reminder that uh, Newsy Credits Backwards is, in fact, Stiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.